0: This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4ZZZ out of Brisbane, Australia. Today on the show, we're talking to Kayleigh Button, who is a public health graduate and interested in improving the health of populations. Her latest research is focused on creating and and validating a psychometric tool to measure health-related quality of life for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. She is interested in collaborative healthcare and research and working with families to improve healthcare. Welcome to Only Human, Kayleigh.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So nice to have you in this lovely, cool studio today. <laughs> so so um, we're going to ask you about your current research, which you've just you just told me you've just done your final presentation for your PhD.
1: Yes, thank you, that was on Thursday. I'm very glad to have that all finished. So that's just kind of telling everyone what I've been doing for the past three years.
0: But we're not going to tell everyone about that yet because we want to make you stay listening.
1: That's good. (laughs) So let's hear a little bit about you, Kelly. What's your background
0: and how did you get into research? What did you do before you got to research?
1: Well, I'm a bit of a late bloomer um, to academia. I am originally from Canada and I grew up there and then left home and went traveling and I've been kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. I've been a cook, I worked in a high security parole facility, I've worked with neurosurgeons um, and then after I had my son I decided to go to university. I uh, did a Bachelor of Public Health and I just fell in love with it and it really spoke to me that um, I've always been interested in in addressing inequities um, and helping people and trying to better our world in my own little way and um, I realized that there's so many similarities between Canada and Australia so the impact of colonization has kind of really had the same effect Mm. everywhere and I didn't really know how I could you know, change anything or do anything about that, but doing the Bachelor of Public Health made me realise that I could help in some small way, and so my, all of my studies have basically been focused on um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health, and um, that's what I've been doing for the past three years, basically. Okay,
0: so I guess people who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander might want to know what work you've done with those communities so far.
1: Yeah, definitely. I prior to going to uni I didn't have a lot of involvement I I was kind of just working in the private sector in the health sector um, and and nothing was really targeted when I started doing my studies um, I had a lecturer who was an Aboriginal man and he really encouraged me to focus my research in the area and uh, once I finished um, I was kind of a where to from here and I spoke to a colleague and she suggested um, my supervisor who had been working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and one of her PhD students um, is an Aboriginal woman Dr. Carrie Hall and she had been doing respiratory health research and as part of her research project the community that she was working with said um, that they were interested in oral health and they said look we've we know it's a problem in our community, but there's no information. um, Can you guys do something about it as well as as this respiratory health stuff? So Carrie um, incorporated an oral health component to her respiratory study, um, but her project was the respiratory stuff. So that oral health data kind of was sitting there. um, And I went and spoke to them and they were happy for me to take it. So that's... I, I got really lucky, I got to walk into a data set and then I kind of went on from there and expanded it. So I don't have a history um, working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people but I've really enjoyed the past three years, it's been fantastic.
0: Okay so you're saying, uh, you were saying all your research is, is looking at, at children in particular, mm-hmm. so how did you get interested in, in how a a psychometric assessment tool for children, I mean, first of all, tell us what that is.
1: (laughs) It it sounds good. Okay. So first of all, a psychometric tool is basically just a survey to measure subjective things. So um, unlike a blood test, which is very like objective and there's certain things that we're trying to measure, um, health-related quality of life and well-being is very subjective and kind of touchy-feely. So it's very hard to measure those things. And clinicians and doctors and researchers love to measure stuff so we um, there was an interest to develop you know something that we could measure well-being and health-related quality of life in an oral health context um, to get back to your first question about the young kids. Um, Carrie's research in the respiratory health research was in young kids and in oral health most research happens um, with school-aged kids so there was actually no data in the past 10 years on little kids under the age of five. So she focused on that area and I kind of right. came there.
0: I guess one of the problems with such a tool would be that uh, little kids aren't very
1: good at reading and writing. <laughs> so how would you deliver something like that? Yeah, so it's, it's done, this tool that we've developed um, recently is uh, done by Parent Proxy. So mum or dad or carer um, would complete the questionnaire. Um, that tool has kind of come of a product of the research that Carrie and myself did with speaking to families and doing this oral health research. We've realized kind of that there was all of these health-related quality of life aspects Um, and we thought, oh, well, we'll investigate and measure how health-related quality of life is going for families. But then when we looked at the literature, we realized there's actually no validated culturally specific tool Um, to measure health-related quality of life for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And that's because, well, the literature says, and I think, you know, your culture can affect how you perceive your health and well-being. Like, we're all different, Mm -hmm. and so we all value different things and different ideas. So psychometric tools really need to be specific um, to the person that they're trying to measure.
0: I guess um, from what I've read in the research, that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people h- have a lot of distrust of the health system. Mm. How do you, uh, what's your experience with that and how, do you,
1: how would you get around that? Well, it's interesting you say that. I think I heard that in the qualitative research that we were d- doing. So, and uh, the way it came across as well was there was a mistrust, but there's also a frustration because there's this assumption that families don't know what they're doing or they're and they're not being taken seriously so typically in health-related quality of life tools for example they are often wanting to know about you know how are you eating, how are you sleeping, um, can you move normally, like all these day-to-day stuff. What families were telling us was yes we want you to ask us about that but also important is to ask us how Our interactions with the health system are and how the health systems treating us because that impacts on our health related quality of life Um, and you know I had families come in and say that they had gone to emergency with their kid three or four times and they kept getting turned back um, and you know I'm a mom myself you you know your own kid so Doctors and physicians, they, they need to trust mums in particular yeah. when you take your kid into um, emergency that something's gone wrong. You need to listen to families. We had, I use the example all the time, we had one fellow um, in Darwin. His daughter had to have a heart transplant, so quite a considerable thing to go through. And he said his health related quality, well, his daughter's health related quality of life was good until they had to move down to melbourne um to get health care and that's the doctors didn't know them they didn't trust them Mm. you know they didn't believe what the dad was saying he and and there's that judgment and there there's this judgment that because he was aboriginal he didn't know about health care or how to take care of his daughter it's racism it's just we'll just call it what it is it's just pure racism yeah um and i just heard stories like that all the time. So, in the academic world, there's—I know there's going to be some argy-bargy about um, that health-related quality of life has nothing to do with your relationship with the health system. But that's not what families have told me. No. Well, you're and not going to get help if you don't trust the system, are you? Yeah, certainly. And I think you know if people aren't taking you seriously, and you have to work so hard to advocate for yourself that's really going to impact on your child's quality of life and mm. your quality of life as well so I guess there's one more
0: thing I'd like to ask you before we uh, go to song and that is um how does oral health in particular impact on people's quality of life oh I c- could talk about
1: that for hours <laughs> <It's> <laughs> teeth who would have thought um in my research I kind of put it into three um Three themes, and it's impacting on physical health, emotional health, and financial <laughs> health and well-being. So I can talk more to that. Um, fi- um, oral health is financially out of reach for most people, yeah. adults particularly. It's it's a real challenge. If you k- if you have three kids and three of them need braces and you're not wealthy you're in a bit of trouble there and that's emotionally that's a lot to take as a parent it stresses you out um, it's going to put you out of pocket your other kids are going to miss out on extracurricular actur- activities because mm. you're busy paying for the braces that's if your kids can get the braces if you can afford that's it that's right there's
0: only a basic amount of health care the state will pay for isn't there yeah for children?
1: thousand dollars a year i think it is yes yeah and our our mouth is considered separate to our body which is just ridiculous Crazy, yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's something that we we brush our teeth every day a a colleague of mine he speaks he's like all the um investment that i put into my mouth you know you you have to do so much to it and yet it's still not considered a part of your body like under the Medicare Benefits Scheme mm. and yet that's the area that we probably take the most care of and yet we have to pay so much. What are people it. going through because they're not affording to go to the dentist? What What's happening? Um, well, I think the most awful situation I heard of was a little girl who needed um, a surgery but because the location of her problem was her mouth was she wasn't able to afford the surgery. So it was an oral health thing. They classed she needed a jaw surgery and she wasn't able to eat properly. So her mouth wasn't, um, closing her bite. There was issues with her bite. I'm not a dentist, so I just talk about this as a normal person, but, um, it was, Impacting the way she ate, and she had other health issues as well, which compounded everything, but she was malnourished, and just to think that a small child in Australia could be malnourished Mm. because oral health isn't covered under Medicare just blows my mind, Um, and so stressful for the mum. She tried everywhere to find solution and the universities did offer her a solution but i think it was still two thousand dollars and out of pocket and like where do you get two grand from Mm. so really challenging
0: okay and of of course then there's the the knock-on effects of having pain and having infections affecting the rest of your body
1: isn't it oh certainly yeah we dental caries is the most common chronic disease of children in australia and Uh, if anyone's ever had a toothache you know what it's like it's you can't ignore that pain it's in your head worse than childbirth yeah it's maybe (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty irritating and for little kids that has all these knock-on effects you know can't Mm. focus at school you get tired because you're up at night you don't want to eat nutritious food because you don't want to chew most nutritious food you know veggies are crunchy or they're you know, you got to chew them. They're probably grouchy and yeah. playing out for their parents. Yes. Yeah. So lots of, lots of challenges when it comes to teeth. And I wasn't an oral health person before, but I am. Hello. So Kelly,
0: we've talked a little bit about what you know, but let's talk about your PhD. You've just finished. What did you hope to find? What, 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 sort of re- what was your research like?
1: Definitely. Um, it was a it was a bit broad, so we looked at oral health. We first looked at the risk factors of dental caries for little kids under the age of five and the prevalence of risk factors for little kids. Um, in, and our focus was on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families. And then we did a qualitative study, so we wanted to hear from families um, what they thought the impact of oral health was, or impact of child oral health was on families. Um, and in doing that, mums, well it, was m- it was all mums, there was one auntie that spoke to us, they told us about their kids' oral health and the impacts, but they also told us lot, a lot about themselves, which we w- kind of weren't anticipating, so those findings were very org- organic coming out of the research, but it was oral health is a big issue for mums and families, and there was lots of health-related quality of life aspects that people were talking about, you know, their emotional well-being, their financial well-being. Um, just oral health can be really stressful and the way you engage with the health system can be really challenging. And so we did want to look at uh, measuring um, children or parents' health-related quality of life, but we, when we went to go and do that, we found out that there was no health-related quality of life of life tools um, that have been validated for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, people. So we had to make our own. <laughs> so we, we kind of um, started at the beginning and we went to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and said, what do you think health related quality of life is and what does it mean to you and you know, what would you like to see or s- how would you like to see it represented and they told us, and we came up with a bunch of questions. And f- kind of for the past six months, we've been testing this tool in the Queensland Children's Hospital. So we've been going to parents of kids aged zero to twelve, and asking them to give a give our tool a test drive. And um, we've found some very interesting things. It's, I think. The surprising finding is that, yes, the relationship with the health system does affect health-related quality of life, and your relationship with the health system needs to be considered when you're considering health-related quality of life. And that's something that's not typically thought of. People think of quality of life, and it's very much your emotional, social, and physical well-being. Well, we need to include how we access health services and what how health services are treating us as well.
0: <laughs> so did you find that mothers really wanted to talk about their children's health and uh, and perhaps by extension the rest of the family?
1: Yeah, I I found uh, I'd had a lot of really young, long chats with mums, you know. Sometimes mums just want someone to listen, and I know as a mum myself like you just don't feel like you're being taken seriously sometimes and if there is someone that you think might be able to change the way things are happening um, you, you want to be able to tell them about it so I had great success with speaking to a lot of families we spoke to hundred and sixty-three people it's wow, a lot um, of interviews <laughs> yeah it was wonderful and they completed the survey and gave me their feedback um, uh, by and large things are good but at the same time, there's real areas where we could improve. You know, there's just the way we treat people. And I think as clinicians, we need to listen and take our parents seriously and listen to the kids as mm. well. It's, it seems basic stuff, but <laughs> if you've ever had to negotiate the health system with a sick kid, then you kind of know how aggravating it can be. So... Uh when you presented your PhD last week, mm-hmm. part of
0: your, I assume part of your thesis was some recommendations towards the end?
1: Yes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm still digesting everything, really. I, I need to get this research out, um, and I need to make sure it's getting out to f- particularly the oral health research. It needs to get out to the kind of private clinicians and private dentists as well as um, Queensland Health and then we need to i think we need to check with mums and families what what they would like to see kind of as our next step as well so mm. we've done all this research i need to get that information out and then i'd like to have more feedback cuz i like to be thought of as you know a public health researcher you just point me in the direction and i'll work but i want to be guided by the community that i'm working for it's no,
0: great it's much uh, much more collaborative that way isn't
1: it i hope so yeah. yeah so
0: do you think there's uh some
1: well i'm making
0: a guess here that there's probably a lot of room there for some cultural safety training in the health system
1: definitely yes <laughs> i think we could all benefit from cultural safety training um one of the Indigenous Liaison Officers at the hospital is a beautiful man Greg he's helped me a lot and he is a real advocate for cultural training for everyone you know he he thinks that it's really important that we learn how to interact respectfully um, and in a culturally appropriate way with everyone at the hospital and I thought that was so wonderful you know that he's such an advocate and ally not only for his own people Mm. but you know when you're working in the health sector you meet people from all walks of life from all different ethnic backgrounds and it's really important as health people that we know how to support them
0: Mm. I know it's probably too early to ask you at this point but do you have any future research in mind oh
1: I would love to study everything (laughs) that is a hard question (laughs) thank (laughs) you Kim Um, (laughs) everything's
0: pretty big (laughs) it is
1: I'm I am really interested in making sure something happens with the research that I've done now so I would like to take it to that next step I don't want it to just be tokenistic and Mm. it just stops here I would like to see real change and even if it is just small change if people are aware that we can do these little things to support families better, then that's really powerful. Um, How I'm going to facilitate that, I'm not sure. It's early days yet. I'm just still processing everything (laughs) from the PhD, but get in touch with you. Congratulations on doing that.
0: (laughs) Final talk. I guess uh, people who are listening might want to find out some more nitty gritty about your research. When will your thesis be ready? And are you publishing anything?
1: I have I've got three papers published at the moment so my yeah my thesis is by publication I've got a new or two new papers that'll be coming out in the next few months Um, that the fourth one has been on the health related quality of life of families and how they perceive that to be Uh, and then the fifth paper will be on the validation of that tool, so kind of more on the statistics and whether the tool works or not. Um, but the first three papers, if you just Google Kaylee Button Oral Health, or you can find me on LinkedIn at Kaylee Button, and I've got my um, papers there. Otherwise, a good place to follow is on Twitter, QUT underscore PHSW. Um, as well, they're on Instagram, Q-U-T-P-H-S-W. And that's our public health and social work um, yep. school. So. so
0: are your papers freely available? Or
1: Yes, they are. Oh, and that's great. And <laughs> if, you, if you can't get them or are struggling, you can just shoot me an email and I'll send you a PDF copy for sure. So that's sure. uh, Kaylee Button, B-U-T-T-E-N, is that Yes, right? that's right. Forget. Kelly,
0: thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Can Is there anything you want to tell us
1: that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Oh, thank you very much for having me. Um Take good care of your teeth. Brush twice a day. <laughs> this is coming from a non-dentist. Um, but, yeah, brush twice a day and try and limit your sugar. That seems to be the core message. I've taken that on board as well. I had to get three cavities filled in the middle of my PhD, which was, oh was quite ironic.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, did you want to ask any questions before we go?
1: Um,
0: so, yes. Um, oh, um, so they... Most of my questions came out of a paper that was referenced in your, um, uh, like a paper that was published this year recently uh, with you as the lead author about yarning with oral health. Mm-hmm. And that was from um, one of your citations was the silver study and... Um, I thought one of the interesting things that De Silva noted was that until the late 20th century, the available data suggested that Indigenous Australians generally had better oral health than their non-Indigenous counterparts, with the main complaint being tooth wear. And I was wondering, you know, I know you're not a dentist, but mm. what what could explain this observation? That
1: Definitely. I think that's a great question, and I think it's something that's not talked about enough. And I. Th- As you said, I'm not a dentist, but I think the big change has been um, the Western diet. So Mm -hmm. the introduction of sugar, um, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people previously had a very healthy diet and were extremely healthy um, people. We've brought over um, sugar and white flour um, and kind of... Forbidden people from practicing their cultural practices, tr- gathering food, um, eating their traditional foods, and that seems to have mm-hmm. changed massively across the board. Oral health is a problem for Australians, um, but certainly, w- I think before we came here, um, as non-Indigenous Australians, we were we were probably eating sugar and that kind of Western style diet prior so when we've arrived we've brought all the nasties with us
0: yeah. don't we know it yeah <laughs> and that article was called yarning about oral health perceptions of urban australian aboriginal and torres strait islander women published just this year what journal was that in that was in bmc oral health okay so yeah. if you want to read that one you can you are listening to the only human podcast only Human is a weekly programme on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research, and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.